February 25, 1978. Five men leave a basketball game in Chico, California. For unknown reasons, they make a detour into the Sierra Nevada mountain range. They go missing. Four men are later found dead. One is never seen again. This is the Mysterious Bruce Podcast, and tonight we bring you the Yuba County Five. Welcome to Mysterious Brews Podcast, coming from a damp, dark, moist basement somewhere in Georgia. I am Arlo. And I am the coach. And today, we will be discussing the Yuba County Five. But first, more importantly, what beer are we having today? Well, since this comes out of Chico, California, today... We will be enjoying the original Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. This is a one of the most popular craft beer brands. As a matter of fact, it's the first beer I ever drank in my entire life that did not have the word light somewhere inside of it. Uh, it does come from Chico. It is a pale ale. It is a nice amber color. It's not too hoppy, but it is a little bit bitter. has a little bit of fruity overtones. Absolutely. It's... it's uh, Probably still one of my favorite beers, yes. even though it's been at least 15 years since I tried it. It's very good. Um, very, very, very refreshing. You know, a lot, uh, interesting story. I had an opportunity to go to the brewery in Chico, and it is fantastic. If you live in the Chico area or anywhere near it, I couldn't possibly recommend that brewery even more. It, as a matter of fact, there, Arlo, it is the second nicest brewery I've ever been to in my life. Second, what is the first? The first that happened well, that would happen to be the Sierra Nevada Brewery in Mills River, North Carolina. There's two of them. There's two of them indeed, and it is their new facility, and it is beyond world class. Excellent. You can spend many an hour there and lose many a brain cell as well. I know I've done it at both of them. <laughs> <laughs> we would like to welcome you to the inaugural first ever podcast we will try to at least do a weekly podcast depending on coach's schedule he's a very busy man very busy very busy man uh like we said in the opening we will be discussing the yuba county five these are five young men uh depending on which article that you read or which message board you get onto. Sometimes the families refer to them as boys, but they were all in their mid to late 20s. We have Jack Hewitt, 24, Ted Weir, 32, Gary Mathias, 25, Bill Sterling, 29, and Jack Madruga was the driver, and he was 30. It's, it's, it, we have to point out here that these two, these five gentlemen were all considered to be special needs. They were very low intelligence, very low IQ. But even with that, what they're going to do tonight, on this night in 1978, there is no explanation for. We will not answer your questions. We will only leave you with more. This is also referred to as the American Dyatlov. In the Outlaw Pass. Yes. Sorry. I and the disappearance of Gary Mathias. If you're going to look it up for yourself, your best bet's the 
Gary Mathias. Disappearance of Gary Mathias. All right, three of the five were classified in 1978 as retarded, which that has been done away with, and that is now referred to as individuals with an intellectual disability. Um, Jack Madruga was referred to as slow by his family. Gary Mathias was um, probably the most high-functioning of the five. His only medical diagnosis was schizophrenia. Um, he was under drug treatment for that. He was diagnosed in 71 while in serving in the Army. Um, the drugs that he was prescribed had been working because he had been symptom-free for the past two years. You found, what was the prescriptions that he was under? Uh, the drug, the two drugs he was on is Stelazine and Cogentin. Both of them need to be taken once to twice per day. Alright, on the night in question, which is February 25th, 1978, uh, these five young men were going to see a basketball game. They were traveling from Chico, no, to Chico. To Chico. To Chico. To cheer on the UC Davis, their favorite basketball team. They went to the went to Chico State to attend the basketball game. They traveled from Yuba City north up into Chico, which is approximately what 70, 80 miles. Yeah, I believe it was it's around 71, 72, mm -hmm. something like that. They all five worked at Gateway Projects in Yuba City. Um, this is a vocational rehabilitation type facility that uh, employs um, young men and women who have developmental needs, low IQs. They were high enough functioning that they were part of the Gateway Projects basketball team and though they were referred to as the gateway gators um, Matthias had even told his mother as he was leaving for the basketball game to make sure that he does not oversleep the next morning because they have a vocational rehabilitation basketball game um, and if they win that game they earn a spot to Los Angeles for the Special Olympics. And again, that makes what they do on this night so much more mysterious because they have something to look forward to the next morning. They all loved basketball. They that was their one the one thing that brought them together was their love for this basketball team. They loved playing together and they all certainly wanted to win win the trip. All right, Jack Madruga owns a 1969 Mercury Montego turquoise and white in color. They head out for the basketball game with Madruga driving. Um, they go and witness their team, UC Davis, win. And after the game, they stop at a gas station supermarket it's referred to in most articles as Bears Market right as the store is closing. And they purchase a Hostess Cherry Pie, one Langendorf Lemon Pie, 
a Snickers bar, a Marathon bar, two Pepsis, and 1.5 quarts of milk. Which that's mysterious anyway. I mean, who drinks milk? I know after as as a as a, as a treat. Know. Like could it be like Laverne and Shirley and they're combining the Pepsi and the milk? Oh, that's just, did they really do that on Laverne and Shirley? You never saw that. That is disgusting. Yes. Holy moly. Really? Yes. Well, I guess since you're, you know, much, much older than me, that you would have seen that. Wiser. <laughs> seen that live. Are you kidding me? I am not lying. Are you? <laughs> when I was a kid, I would watch Laverne and Shirley, and every time she'd be like, I'm going to add Pepsi to my milk, I'd like gag. Pepsi bit. to your milk. Okay. I have milk upstairs. I'm not putting it in <laughs> Like, when I was a kid, I dared my brother about, to do it, and he, like, projectile vomit. What about everywhere. Sierra Nevada and milk? Nope. You don't think? Mm-mm. You don't think it'd be, like, kind of like a California Russian? Nope. Or, nope. 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 or a white Californian or something? No, no, no. No. I mean. It could be a scene out of The Exorcist. Oh, my God. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. We're getting off track. Yes, yes. We could, join us next week for our Laverne and Shirley podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Ted's grandmother, Imogene, wakes up. Out of a dead sleep, almost as she explains it, afraid for her life at 5 a.m. on February 26th. She immediately gets out of bed, goes into Ted's room. His bed is empty. The bed's still made. And as soon as it breaks light outside, she calls Bill Sterling's mom, Juanita Sterling. Juanita tells Imogene that Bill is not home either. And that Juanita has been up since 2 a.m., worrying sick. Juanita had already called Jack Madruga's mom. And Jack Madruga's mom had stated that he was not home either. Ted's grandmother, Emma Jean, calls Jack Hewitt's mom. And while on the phone, Jack Hewitt's mom gets her daughter-in-law to walk down the street and talk to Gary Mathias's stepfather. And immediately, all five never came home. They immediately so, never came? Well, yeah, well, same thing. <laughs> well, immediately... They realized that yeah. all five were missing. They realized that, yes, all five are missing. <laughs> yeah, immediately, they never came home. <laughs> At 8 p.m. on the 26th, Mrs. Madruga decides to call the police. Now, a lot of questions are raised as to why... They waited till 8 p.m. to call the police. But back in 78, you could not go to the police department for a missing child, a missing adult, until 24 hours had passed. Well, and plus, I mean, they're adults. They have the legal right to not come home. It's not the same as, you know, an 8-year-old. These are adults. These are men. Uh, Intellectually disabled or not, they have every right to not come home. But as we have mentioned... They did have this huge basketball game that all five of them were, you know, very excited for. Very excited to play in. Um, so it real basically has been 24 hours once she calls the police. I don't know if that was out of just pure luck or if that was planned. I have a feeling that they spent most of that day up until 8 p.m. until she called the police looking for them, trying to retrace tracks, but that's just pure speculation. That's not anything that's documented. Police begin to take interest after the boys are still nowhere to be seen on the 28th of February. Later on the 28th, Madruga's Mercury is found, and this is what starts all 
of the weird questions. And let me tell you, bro. Let me tell you, folks. There's going to be about a million of them. A million of them. Once the car is found, it is not found anywhere near the route that they took to get to the basketball game or the route they should have taken to get home. Let me tell you, folks. The trip home from Chico to Yuba City is essentially one right turn on a highway. You go from Chico on I-99, or Highway 99 rather, and you make a right when it splits. And you just keep right on I-99, on a, a Highway 99 all the way into Yuba City. It's about a 70 mile trip south. These gentlemen end up in near Elks Retreat or Bucks Lake high above the Sierra Nevada in the Sierra Nevada mountain range they take some sort of detour and they end up miles and miles north of their intended destination and the car is found basically 70 miles away from Chico totally out of the way kind of like coach said on a deserted ragged rut riddled mountain road it had stopped basically at the snow line of the mountain and the police would state that it appeared that the tires had spun but the car was not really stuck yeah they stated that easily five able-bodied men which all of these guys were they were very able-bodied almost all athletes could have easily getting this got this car out of out of the snow yeah, they find, the police find, that there was a quarter tank of gas, four maps of California, which are neatly folded inside the glove box, but the keys are missing. One window is rolled down, which is kind of odd, and the police state that they hot hotwired the car to make sure that there was nothing mechanically wrong with it, and it immediately started. Um, they do notice that all there was some food wrappers in the car, and these are the wrappers that the young men had purchased at Bear's Market. Um, all of the food had been consumed except for the marathon bar, and it was half eaten. And like I had stated earlier, and I'm going to restate it for emphasis, the car was not damaged. The road, however, that they found it on is full of deep ruts. It's a mountain road. Um, and with five, you know, late 20s. Early 30s. Yeah, early right yeah, 30. Men in this car, if you did not know the road, that car would have bottomed out easily on ruts, uh, slides, especially with that much weight in the tank that is the Mercury Montego. Yeah, so they stated that it was just an immaculate uh, condition. Somebody either knew that road perfectly or somebody drove extremely slow. Yes, and that's not out of the question. Um, Madruga has... Well, he loved that car. Yes, he. That's what I was about to I say. He say, had babied it. I would say he babied it more so than. Well, 
I don't know. He we'll also get, we'll get into it. yeah. He also would not allow anyone else to drive his baby. So again, how did the car get up there undamaged? Okay, and the other thing about Madruga, he was not an outdoorsy man. He did not like to go camping. He hated the cold. And to the recollection of his family, he was unfamiliar with that road. Correct. Um, Didn't they stay? Which one was the state that he? they took him camping one time? Is that the same guy? No, that's Sterling. Absolutely hated it. Sterling. Bill Sterling? Yeah. Uh, his father had taken him fishing and stayed in a cabin near the area in which the car is found eight years prior. So that we're talking 70, 71, and Bill would have been 21 at the time of this fishing trip, and he despised it. He hated the trip. His family would go back to that cabin and stay like a yearly vacation every year, and he was like, nope, not having it. I'm staying home. Y'all have a good time. So again, chalk another one up to how did we get up there. Just recapping because we ramble on a lot. <laughs> the car's found 70 miles away from Chico up a nasty mountain road right above the snow line. Car's kind of, you know, stuck but not really stuck. Bad enough that five grown men couldn't get it out of the back down the mountain. Um, as the police are searching around the car, they are startled by a new snowstorm that blows in and dumps an additional nine inches of snow on the mountain. And they call in snow cats to make their way up the mountain to give them a clear path. And the snow cats struggle to get through the drifts that were already there. They find nothing else after the snow drifts. After the snow drifts. Whew. Man, that was a good one. <laughs> after the snow cats come through. Okay. But there is a sighting. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Yes, there is a sighting. And that sighting is in the form of Mr. Joseph Shones, 55. This is a very credible, confirmed sighting. And it's not a sighting. A couple of days later, this is, I would, I think one article I read referenced maybe two weeks after the boys had gone, or young men had gone missing. Yeah, he steps up and talks about what happened. Yeah, he comes forward and says that, hey, I was up that same road looking for where the snow line was at because I was going to bring my wife and daughter up for the weekend and we were going to go hiking. But I was in a VW Bug, and it got stuck, and this all happened about 5.30 p.m. on the day that the five men go missing, which is the 27th. No, I'm sorry, the 25th. What's interesting about him is he actually suffers a heart attack while trying to dig his car out. So he lays down in his car. He waits to for. I guess, to die, I would assume, (laughs) or get over your heart attack. And he realizes that there are people around. Yes, at some time during the night, he said that 
he approximated about 50 yards behind his VW. Um, he hears whistling and some low murmuring talking. And he gets out, yells for help. As soon as he yells for help, the headlights of the car goes out. But he tells police that when they were, you know, when the lights were on, he saw a group of men, a woman, and a baby in the headlights of the car. Keep that in mind, people, because that's going to be yet another mysterious nugget that we will have to talk about. So, but again, this this poor man has suffered a heart attack. He is laying in his VW bug. All of a sudden, he sees headlights. Here's talking. Gets out. Hey, I need help. And the lights go out. He doesn't hear anything else. So he gets back in his car, lies down again. And there's going to be another sighting, but there's going to be an issue with this one. Yes, and we'll get into that in just one second. Oh, am I jumping the gun? Just a tad. I'm so sorry. Mr. Sean states that a couple of hours pass, and he is either startled by or just happens to wake up and sees flashlights bouncing around above his car. And so he yells again, help, I feel like I've had a heart attack, and the flashlights go out. Uh, Eventually, his VW runs out of gas. It is still dark, and at this moment, Mr. Shones has a pair of brass cojones on him (laughs) that he can hardly walk with because he makes the decision to walk back down the mountain eight miles to a lodge named Mountain Home. And this is a lodge that he had personally stopped at on the way up to have dinner. Um... After suffering a mild heart attack, and yes, it was a mild heart attack because once he is seen by medical professionals, he is uh, they confirmed that he did suffer a mild heart attack. He walks eight miles down a mountain in the dark after suffering a heart attack, passes the Mercury Montego and notices that it's empty and that one window is down, but he doesn't have time to look around. He's heading down. Now, during his... Guess sleep or trying to recover from his heart attack. He did tell police that he initially saw what he thought was a truck behind the car that was casting the the shadows of the people standing in front of him. And well, although he did it, he did report that to police in this news article I'm looking at right now. It states that, however, Shones admitted. He was not certain about the second vehicle. He said, I was half conscious, not lucid, hallucinating, and in deep pain. Whether I half saw or half imagined the second vehicle, I just don't know. But he said he was certain about seeing the Mercury. Early Saturday morning, like February 25th, Shones managed to walk eight miles back down the road to a mountain lodge where the manager drove him home and Shones' wife later took him to the local hospital. Sean said he told his wife he had seen a, quote, pickup behind the car, but does not remember now why he said that. And in regards to the actions of the people that he saw turning the lights off, Imogene Wheeler stated that her son certainly would have responded to a call for help. 
She said, quote, Ted and Bill Sterling once helped a person get to a hospital who had even overdosed on Valium. End quote. So, not responding, if it indeed was the five men, is definitely out of character for him. Now, so, he may, uh, uh, Shones may have imagined a second vehicle, but he called it a pickup truck. Okay? A few weeks later, there's going to be a reward offered. Uh, uh, Friday, March 3rd, there will be a reward posted by the uh, sheriff's office, and a woman comes forward who asked to not be identified. Said the men were in front of Mary's Country Store in Brownsville, a small town more than an hour's drive over backcountry roads from Rogers Cow Camp, where the mercury had been abandoned. She stated that she saw a, uh, the five men in a red 1950s model pickup truck about 2 p.m. Saturday, February 25th in the Brownsville area of Yuba County, about 40 miles northeast of Maryville. She was, uh, she was backed up by her employer, and they did receive the reward money for coming forward. But, if you have an opportunity to follow us at uh, Mysterious Brews on Instagram or Mysterious Brews on Twitter, we will be posting the picture of the map that is not a very good map, but it does point out exactly where the people were, they left, where they went to Chico, and where the car was found, and where the bodies were found. But you see, if you look to the southeast of Lake Orville on that map, you will see Brownsville is insanely out of the way for any of these locations. So, I don't know about you there, uh, Arlo, but I don't take any credence to this sighting. No, and we'll get into it a little bit more in depth when we get into the whys that we cannot answer. But, again, it, it is a little... It's funny that she came forward after the reward is posted. Um, and again, you know, referencing that map that Coach pointed out, it just, if you're going that direction, you're already, you know, if for some reason that car is you're stuck or you're lost you wind up at a gas station at another city you could at least ask for directions again you know there's just there's not a whole lot of credence in her claim I don't I don't see it so they go missing on February 25th yes and that's what I have now the dates that's the another thing with this the dates some of them say that the 25th was the name, the day of the basketball game. Some say the 24th was the day of the basketball game. We're just going to say the 25th. Let's just say they went missing on the 25th. Yes. All right, so. So the, the, the car was found what day? The 28th? 8th. 28th. Okay. It's, it's found. Snowstorm comes, dumps a bunch of snow. They call off the search. They can't find anything. There's no footprints anywhere. You know, Mr. Shones comes forward a couple of weeks after the car is found and gives his side of the story. And basically, you know, we're talking the first of March, first couple of weeks of March, and there's nothing. And then there's still nothing. There's the Shones report, which is verified and credible. And then there's the March 3rd report from the unidentified woman who is not credible. And then we don't have another break in this case, another sighting or anything, until June the 4th. Correct. And this is where everything gets even weirder. The more we go... 
So we're just going to get, folks. Yes. <laughs> oh, God. All right. So basically, <laughs> <laughs> basically, we're talking about June the 4th, a group of motorcycle riders going up the same mountain road that the car was found on months earlier. And they come upon a Forest Service trailer. And this is basically a trailer out in the middle of nowhere for the Forest Service in case they're out doing fire watches or in case someone gets lost. This is an option for shelter. Um, when they, the motorcycle riders, you know, get off their bikes, they smell something sweet and disgusting which anybody that has any experience... Which was two words that were used to describe me in high school. Sweet and disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, that is the smell of rotten flesh. And thank God the motorcycle riders decide to investigate the trailer. And this, when we say trailer, we're not talking about a fifth wheel. We're talking about a 60-foot trailer. It's a little misleading to say the same road. They were on that same road, but when you say the middle of nowhere, we're talking 19.4 miles away from where the car was found. North. And we already know that eight miles south is a lodge. Again, another nugget of what the fuck is going on here. Yeah. So they, so the body of that man, yes, turned out to be uh, Weirs, Ted Weirs. Yeah, the riders, you know, start looking at the trailer. They notice the window's broken. They make entry into the trailer, and like Coach said, they find a body. And this body is Ted Weirs, and it's stretched out on a bed, and he is found with eight sheets, blankets, depending on what you read pulled over his body and tucked around his head. He is barefoot with horrible frostbitten feet. Almost gangrenous. On the table near the bed they find a nickel ring which was Ted's because his family you know claimed Yeah, his name was engraved on it. Yeah. Claims it and like Coach said, Ted is engraved on it. Uh, his gold necklace, a gold waffum W-A-L-T-H-A-M watch. The crystal is missing. Ted's wallet with cash still inside is also found on the table. But the crazy thing about this Waltham watch with the crystal missing is... It's not his. It's not his? It's not Madruga's. It's not Sterling. It's not uh, Matthias's. It's no one's. It's because no the one's. family... All five families would state that that watch didn't belong to any of their sons or grandsons. So not only did Ted walk, at least Ted walked the 19.4 miles. What's interesting about his body, he actually starved to death. Yes, when he went missing, he weighed 200 pounds. He is, or was, 5 foot 11. So he was a healthy boy. Um... When they find him in the trailer, it is estimated from his beard growth that he had lived anywhere from 8 to 13 weeks past the night they went missing. 
and he lost approximately 80 to 100 pounds. Now, now you may say to yourself, well, you know, he's out in the middle of the woods. He's, he's, he's a slow learner. He, sure, he, there's no food. He can't, he could easily starve to death, right? Well, what's interesting about that trailer there, Arlo? What's interesting about the trailer is there are two outbuildings located behind it or at, you know, angles from behind the trailer. In those two outbuildings, you have a cache of supplies that would have kept all five men fed for one calendar year. At least. Um, they do find roughly 12 to 20 sea ration cans that had been open and empty. And for those of you not familiar with a sea ration, it is basically the old MRE. It is a soldier's meals ready to eat, and it would have taken a can opener, which a P-38 can opener. Madruga and Mathias both were Army veterans, so they would have known how to operate one. So we know that there was some food eaten, and but authorities would state that in one of those outbuildings, you had a locker with the sea rations in it, and then right next to that locker is the locker that had enough food for the five of them to survive for a year. They open one, but don't open another one. Make another note, another mysterious WTF moment. <laughs> well, let's let's let's. I mean, let's let's keep talking about the mystery. Uh, we're no shoes, but. Whose shoes were in the trailer? Those were found to be Mr. Matthias's shoes. And we will get into him in more depth in a few minutes. Going back to the trailer, the other shed that I referenced was probably, I would say, no more than 40 feet from the first trailer. And in that shed, there was a propane tank. And if they had opened that shed, all they had to do was turn the gas valve, and the main trailer would have been heated. Now, with that, let's talk about the oddities of the trailer. Well, like you said, there was there was gas to heat it. There was food that wasn't eaten. But not only that, there was a there was a fireplace. Nice, nice place to keep yourself warm, but was it used? Did they take advantage of this? No. Nope. No fire. A man lived between 8 and 13 weeks in this trailer, starving to death in the freezing cold. Did not start a fire. There were wood. There were books. There was furniture. There were matches. There were a abundance of materials to keep himself warm and it was not taken advantage of. They what did. the fuck? Yes, that's number three on the WTF scale. They did find matches that had been burnt in the bathroom sink. They said four burnt matches were found in the sink. So obviously someone knew how to... St- Strike a match, but we didn't 
put that struck match to any of the paperback books, the wooden furniture, the firewood outside. We just stayed in there with no lights. Now, we have covered the car, the trailer, Mr. Sean's weird encounter with what he claimed would be a woman and a baby and some men talking and whistling noises in that evening, the same evening that they went missing. Now we get into the day after the police are called to the trailer. So the day after Weir's body is found, the remains of Madruga and Sterling are found. That's Jack Madruga and Bill Sterling. They were found on opposite sides of the road from each other, 11.4 miles from the car. Sterling was scattered over a 50-foot area in the woods. The only thing found were bones. However, Jack Madruga is found face up, clutching his watch with his right hand, and it, had, and it appeared that animals had scavenged both his body and Bill's body, but Madruga's body had been drugged near a stream. Now, keep in mind, there was a watch found on a table next to Weir that no one claimed, but Madruga is found clutching his watch in his right hand. Does that mean something? It does. Is it a sign? Is it a clue? I think it's another WTF moment. <laughs> All right, so basically we have Weir's bodies found. The next day, Bill Sterling and Jack Madruga's body is found. And then two days after that, Jack Hewitt's backbone is found. Oh, but the sad, sad part about Jackie Hewitt. What's the sad part about Jackie Hewitt? Who his father, oh, his dad, found his remains against the wishes of the the, the police force. They he begged, insisted. Yeah, they begged him not to do the search. He found poor Jackie's shirt. When he lifted it up, Jackie's spine fell out. Yeah, and after they find his spine, the next day, police locate even more bones: Jackie's Levi's, his shoes. And basically 100 yards from this, his skull is found. Now, what is interesting about all of that is his skull is found only two miles from the cabin. So again, what the hell? I mean, you got Weir found in the trailer. Sterling and Madruga found 11.4 miles from the car further away from the trailer, and then you're looking at a skull of Jackie Hewitt found two miles from the cabin. Now, what, what I'm curious about is the fifth man. Where, where, where's uh, Matthias's body? Where'd they find his body? They have yet to find his body, and as of today, he is still considered missing. And as of this recording, he's been missing for 41 years, four months, and four days. There has been many, many a people declared dead in shorter amount of time. But 
He is still he's still considered missing. Missing. He is not considered dead. And but I don't you, know if that's a family issue or if that's a state issue. That's or an interesting. That's interesting questions that again we don't have the answer to. But yeah, you're right. In much shorter time frame, people have been declared dead. But for 41 some odd years, he is still considered a missing person. So we're looking at Hewitt, Sterling, and Madruga. Their bodies were all found northeast of the trailer. What is interesting is northwest of the trailer, they find, and I refer to they as the police, find three wool blankets and a flashlight. The flashlight was rusted and in the own position. And I know some of you naysayers out there will say, well, how'd they know it was on? Well, it's because if you push that little button forward, it turns on. If you pull it back, it's off. And it's one of those nice 1970 models, <laughs> silver ribbed models that was heavy as hell. It did have batteries in it. But the only thing that we have to date, like Coach said, that ties young missing Gary Mathias to the whole scene is what? His shoes. What? His shoes were located in the trailer. Um, the prevalent theory about his shoes being left in the trailer is like... Well, Gary was a much smaller man than Weir. Weir was a big man, so big men wear big shoes. Yes, and like Weir, they, the police again, theorized that his feet were also, you know, frostbitten and swollen, and so it would make more sense for him to swap shoes to keep moving and keep trying to find help. Now, are we going to delve into... Well, I mean, well, these are the facts. These are this, this, this is the part that ends the facts of what we know. We're left with four bodies... One man missing, and we know the facts of where they went, where they ended up, except for, of course, uh, Matthias. But now, we get into the fun part. And well, fun for us, frustrating for most. We get into the why. And this is the dark, deep rabbit hole of the Yuba County Files. Yeah, there, there's no, there is no end to this. There are rabbit holes upon rabbit holes upon rabbit holes. But the main point of this podcast will be the question why? Why? Over and over again. And let's start with this. Why the fuck did these guys drive out there? What could have possibly possessed them to take such a detour? And I mean literally, again, if you look on our Instagram or Twitter at mysterious bruise you will see a terrible map but even with the terrible map you can see that there is absolutely no reason for these men to end up here and if anyone has researched this and you have a better map please post it to either our twitter account or our instagram account we are not as savvy as the rest of the world and we can't do our own Yuba uh, County map. We got, I mean, if you go on to, uh, of course, look up the Google Maps, get on the Google, and do your own. On that interweb machine? Yeah, get on it, get on there and uh, check it out for yourself. But us being the lazy 
sad sacks we are, we're just taking the map that was provided for us from the newspaper. So, and it's horrible. <laughs> it is god awful. But you can tell by that that there is absolutely no reason these men end up here. Why? Right. What possessed them? The first thing on my list of why is who was in the car, because that is the one question that keeps coming up on a lot of the websites that you find this mystery on, a lot of the threads. That is a big question, is who was in the car, because like we said, Madruga's family had stated that he was not familiar with that part of California. And he would not have been familiar with that road. Now, it is plausible that he could have driven his Mercury Montego up that mountain road and been extremely careful not to scratch or bottom it out or cause damage to it. Now, if you look up a Mercury Montego... It is a boat. It is a boat of a car. It has two bench seats. Could easily ride six men. Yes. With little trouble. And I would dare go as you could put a small child or a small adult in oh, there and get seven. Oh, so you're giving credence to I'm not Jones. Giving, I'm not giving credence oh, to a child, so but you're, I'm just you're, saying that, so that thing's so big that we Case could, closed. A mom and baby killed him. That's right. There we go, folks. It Kinda is like solved. like Bugs Bunny, that little that little baby that shaves <laughs> Bugs Bunny catches him. It is, it is, uh, it's solved, folks. But no, it, it, it could easily have fit six people. Now, are we talking, if that is true, are we talking there's a, a sixth missing person? Or is there something more nefarious going on? I believe it's the nefarious part. Because no. I would say that someone had to lead them up there or tell them something was up there. Okay. Uh, well, they did travel to Chico, to Chico State, to watch a basketball game. Yes, and that is a theory, is that their, they may have witnessed something. Their, te- their team did win. And they are five. Uh, special needs men. So, now, looking at them, you might not be able to tell that. So, did they get a little overzealous with their celebration? They may have, and pissed off the wrong person. And pissed off the wrong person, who is such a diehard Chico State basketball fan that they're willing to murder five, five men in a remote <laughs> in a remote area of room. California. I'm thinking this is the part where that theory breaks down. Yeah, as soon as we start talking about it, it goes to shit. <laughs> but could they have saw something they weren't supposed to? And that goes to some theories that was put forth by one of the family members that they have a strong sense of right and wrong. If they saw someone that needed help, they would step in and help them. Which, goes, which if true, completely goes against Sean's testimony of them turning the lights off and getting quiet. Right. Again. Which is another WTF moment. What the hell? Why? Yeah. If they're if they have a strong sense of right and wrong, they're gonna step up and help when need be. What made them go quiet there? And if you do get on the interwebs and that Google machine, uh, there's not a whole lot about Sean's description of a woman or the truck, and like Coach had said, Shones later came out and said, you know, look, I was having a damn heart attack. I may have imagined that there was a woman or a baby mm-hmm. or a truck. Now, again, is 
hallucination a symptom of a heart attack? And according to she coach, she coach, it who is. is a doctor. She said it is possible. It is, and there's not likely. Like, there's like some Reader's Digest but edition word that she referenced. That she it was a very, it was a, it was a, it was a nine dollar word. Yes, and we are working on a six dollar budget. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we had already discussed the uh, what we feel like is a bullshit sighting in Brownsville. Well, I mean. Well, getting back, I'm sorry to go back, but getting back to um, what happened in Chico, uh, Weir's sister-in-law stated that they seen something at that game, at the parking lot. They might have seen something and didn't even realize they seen it. So the theory of them seeing something that they weren't supposed to is, is that, that idea is, is shared with some of the family. It is, and we'll get into the sister-in-law even more in just a second. But let's get into that bullshit Brownsville sighting. She states... But why? Because it goes into... Did we not agree that it was bullshit? Yes, we do agree that it's bullshit. But she, the lady that collected the dang reward, said that when she saw them, she only saw four of them. Well, that is interesting. And they were in a red pickup truck. But this is after Shones gave his statement. Yes, it is. And she says that she saw these young men two days after their disappearance. She references Hewitt and Sterling in a phone booth. Now, the funny thing is, Sterling, I believe it's Sterling, hates using the phone. So, maybe he was just standing there. Yeah. And then the other two, Madruga and Weir, go into the store and she remembers them because they had big eyed expressions and she found that extremely odd for grown men to have those such big eyed expressions. Well anything's extremely odd when you're lying through your teeth. That is true and here is (laughs) here's the clincher for me. She states that Weir and Hewitt came in with their big eyed expressions and bought drum roll please Chocolate milk, soft drinks, and gas station Doritos. Just see that you just can't bet. That right there is not worth five thousand dollars in today's money. I mean, yeah, I it was what sixteen hundred in in that stuff. money, and then about yeah, it's about five thousand dollars in today's money. Lady, let me explain something to you if you're still out there. <laughs> I don't listening. care if they're special needs or not. <laughs> These young men are not going to eat gas station burritos and drink chocolate milk because that right there is like doo-doo central. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a recipe for disaster. That is grown men dragging their ass in the snowbank. Well, this, and not, not to mention, this is 1978 gas station burritos. Yeah, this is, yeah, this thing's chock full <laughs> of peckers and lips. <laughs> now, this will be... <laughs> The last of the Brownsville bullshit story. Please don't bring it up. Yeah, we're not going to bring it up again. I will uh, well, bring up Unless they a, did eat the burritos, then they probably went to Brownsville later about yes, six hours Brown later. Brown Town. Somebody <laughs> is baptizing a baby Ruth. And it's a little warm. All right, so let's get out of the doo-doo jokes. All right, so approximately, and this is another WTF moment, approximately March the 15th, three weeks after the disappearance, 
a man calls a lady named Debbie Lynn Reese. And when she answers the phone, the man on the other end says, I know where the missing five men are. And then he immediately hangs up. Then, the next day, the man calls back. On March 16th, she answers the phone and he states, I need help because I really hurt those guys bad. And so Miss Reese says, who did you hurt? The man on the other end says, don't play dumb with me, and hangs up. The next day, March 17th, same man calls back again. When she answers the phone, he states, those five guys are all dead, they're all dead, and hangs up immediately. And that is the last phone call that Miss Reese receives. Well, this... It's interesting. It's an interesting call, but it's not accurate because if uh, that date and time, we're still alive. If he lived eight weeks in the trailer, he's still alive, and he starved to death. He was not hurt. He starved to death. So this, I'm I'm chalking it up to 1978. Hey, we're bored to death. We've been drinking. Let's just prank call some people. And y'all, I, I still do not understand this, and it happens all the time. What kind of sick individual calls people and claims to be part of the family or claims to see things that just didn't happen? Why give these families false hope? You, There is a special place in hell for people that do this. And this is not a one-off experience. Every missing case, every true crime podcast, there are people that interject themselves into the investigation just for shits and giggles. And it's horrible. Well, this person wasn't even doing that, though. He called some random lady. And, and let's be honest, in the 70s, they didn't monitor the nut house as well as they do now. He could have just slipped up front and grabbed the phone and started dialing. Hey, I know where these five guys, they're dead. They're yeah. dead. Well, I, I mean, when we originally recorded this, but we screwed it up so bad we had to re-record it. I was giving credence to these calls, but just now it dawned on me that the timeline doesn't match up because we were still alive. Yes, and it is theorized that not only was we still alive, you have to possibly those that many sea rations, you possibly have to theorize that most of them are still alive. Well, they didn't eat them, though. They only ate, what, 20? Yeah, there was 20. I mean, 20 sea rations in eight weeks? Well, no, no, no. I, I'm just saying five guys. I mean, you could have struck out. Well, that's true. Never mind. Are, are, are you, Again, wait, I've wait, been proven wrong. Five guys? Did they later find a burger chain? Yes. And they had the best fries you've ever eaten. <laughs> These, this whole time, we've been talking about those guys? Those five guys? Those five guys. Uh. <laughs> yes, we have a twisted, dark sense of humor. All right. So let's get into some more wines. Why? Okay, let's do it. Okay. Why did they go north? Why Why were? Why did they leave the car while, where it was? What could have possessed them to walk 19 miles north, north away from the lodge, away in a from storm. And shelter? You, you pointed out that not only is it 19.4 miles, but it's pretty much in a straight line. From the car. And, which, as we all know... As the Mythbusters have proved, look it up, people. 
you can find this on the YouTubes. If you are lost and you are wandering alone, you tend to list off in the direction of your prominent hand. If you are right-handed, you will typically list off to your right. If you are left-handed, you will list off to the left. But these, at least one gentleman, possibly two because of the shoes. Well, there had to be at least two because who wrapped him up in those sheets? So there is at least two people in this cabin went pretty much in a direct line. And then the other two that are found 11.4 miles from the car, you're still, they're not making that wide of an arc. You're still walking 11 miles in a straight line. Yeah, they were either walking from the car to the cabin or from the cabin to the car. And again, if it's still snowing outside, it is on record, the police have stated that the snowcats had problems making it to that cabin two days before the five go missing talking about a 19.4 mile hike on a level ground we're talking 19.4 miles uphill into the sierra nevada mountains with snow drifts keyword sierra nevadas a lovely lovely beer that we have enjoyed today <laughs> i i've enjoyed uh more than i should so i probably have uh, a little bit of a i've maybe rambled more than more, more so than, than normal. More than normal. But we're talking 19.4 miles north in the Sierra Nevada mountain range in snow drifts between anywhere from 4 to 6 to 10 feet deep. And yes, able-bodied men, but for God's sakes. They were not dressed for that kind of weather. How able-bodied are we talking about? I believe it is... Mr. Weir's grandmother remembers telling young Ted, you need to take a coat. And he turns and tells his grandmother, come on, Grandma. We're just going to see a basketball game. I don't need a coat. And then he gets in Madruga's 1969 turquoise and white, <laughs> panty-dropping Mercury Montego, and is never seen again. Um, so, so, okay. So... We can't answer why they went up there. So let's try to answer why they walked that way. Could there be somebody making them or something making them? Because I, I assure you, the only thing that could possibly make me hike 19.4 miles uphill in the snow would have to be an 11-foot or taller Sasquatch. Yes. And we are talking about the Sierra Nevadas. And there are theories out there that the whistling that Mr. Shones heard could have been Sasquatch whistling. And I will agree with you on the fact that the only way I'm running through snow, barely clothed for such an experience, is if someone or something is going to hurt me. But if I'm with four other people, or even you, I'm like pushing somebody down. He's not getting me. Oh, absolutely. If, if you or I are in the Sierra Nevada mountains and there's a Sasquatch, I'm taking your knee out immediately. Yeah. Sorry, buddy. You're going to take one for the team. I don't have to outrun the Sasquatch. I just have to outrun you. I just have to outrun you. That's right. And I am fat and slow, so I am hobbling your ass. <laughs> 
Oh I'm God, he got me! I'm gonna hobble you misery style with a sledgehammer. <laughs> it's for your own good. <laughs> it is. I I would really appreciate if you didn't hobble me like I'm, misery. I would have to because there's nothing. I mean, are you just carrying around a sledgehammer in your damn back pocket? There's like, hey, let's just kill him. More, hey, looky there. Well, look. I am a purple belt jujitsu, so I probably just straight ankle locked him till I snapped. Oh, that's true. But maybe. Oh, that sound. <laughs> that's a good sound. As a matter of fact. But what, I mean, honestly, what could have compelled them to not only go there, but once they're there, why not try to get the car out of the snow? Why not, why not go, why not walk back down? Yeah, why not walk, walk to the, the lodge that you had to have passed? Yeah, and it was probably still glowing with patrons. If a man that had a mild heart attack is capable of walking downhill. Eight miles. Eight miles to save his own life. Five able-bodied men are able. Well, they're clearly able because they made it up 19.4 miles to a cabin. Okay, well, let, all right, let's get into the whys at the cabin. Okay, so the other thing that is prevalent when you start checking this whole thing out is... Did they not start a fire because they were hiding from someone or something? And the something is referenced as either Sasquatch terrorizing these five men or people have gone extraterrestrial. <laughs> I myself do not want to go a little extraterrestrial. I mean, we'll get there. We're going to have to get there. Probably later podcast. We're going to be talking about everything here on the Mysterious Bruce podcast. Follow us at Instagram. Or Twitter at Mysterious Bruce. Shameless uh, plug. All right. So, well, I mean, I mean, honestly, you don't build a fire. These are special needs men. It's it is confirmed. Uh, if it is just uh, Weir and Matthias at some point, but maybe he's alone. Weir's family describe him as having a complete lack of common sense. Arriving, uh, deriving from his mental disability. He goes so far as to question them as to why he should stop at a stop sign. And the most gl- glaring example of his lack of intelligence is that one night he needed to be dragged out of his bed while his bedroom ceiling was burning in a house fire. For what purpose? He was simply worried that he would be late for his job the next day if he left his bed. Now that my friend, is low functioning. Is low functioning. That is the definition of low functioning. But is he so low functioning? What what I had read that, that perhaps he would have been scared to since the since the trailer was locked and they had to break in. Perhaps they figured they thought it was private property and they would be they were scared to build a fire. They were scared to open the rations and eat the food. They were simply scared that they would get in trouble. But are you so low functioning that you can allow yourself to starve to death? Well, and to or point out the fact was it Sasquatch? <laughs> well, <laughs> and also to point out the fact that yes, he is low functioning because he wanted to sleep instead of getting out of a burning building. Please keep in mind, ladies and gentlemen, that these five men were smart enough to understand the rules of basketball. That is true. And I must tell you 
that if we are equating their intellect to the basics, you're looking at a childlike behavior, but there's still that primal behavior of, I'm hungry and there's food right here, I'm going to eat. That is true. You don't lose that primal, uh, that primal brain function. And the thing is, here's another WTF moment. He starves to death. He's malnourished, but somehow they have kept hydrated. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yep. that is. Uh, yep. I know, and, but here, I, I and the reason I bring that up is. Yes, there was snow around. If they were taking the snow, melting the snow for water, how were they they're smart the enough. How were they melting the snow if there's no water? Well, they're just bringing it inside, and eventually it'll melt during the day. That's what I would hypothesize. I don't believe it was cold enough up there that they couldn't melt snow inside. I don't know. He didn't freeze to death. He died of starvation. That's true. All right. So. Well, he died of a combination of hypothermia and Probably, starvation. yeah, both. Um, just saying. Here is just saying. another how, why did they get up the side of a mountain is this thing that is very prominent in the very region that we are speaking of, the valley. It is called Tule Fog, T-U-L-E. And according to certain websites like Web Sleuths, 4chan, um, that night there was a fog in the valley and the tule fog is a very thick fog that can last for days it can reduce the visibility to less than 500 feet now on reddit it was there was a thread that was theorized that this tule fog is the cause of them making a wrong turn but, going back to this lovely map that we have referenced time and time again, this wrong turn is the complete wrong direction. And if, if you do hopefully go so far as to look at the actual Google Maps, get a more um, in-depth look at this area, like we said, to get back to Yuba City is one right turn. It's probably just a keep right Uh on the on the on a highway to get to the wilderness area they're going to have to go through the city of Orville which is a small town and as we all know small towns have many many streets so they're going to make they didn't make don't they didn't make one wrong turn they made many yes they many. went there for whatever reason they had a purpose what and purpose? Well, some bitch we don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like, we're not going to answer We're not going to answer So if you, you want to turn us off so now, go right ahead. This, but, is, this is why She Coach will never want, listen to this podcast is because she's all about answers. If We don't have any folks. If you can't tell her who the killer was, she don't want to know. Now, going into the why, um, Jackie Hewitt's sister-in-law posted on a blog that she felt like the boys had witnessed an altercation between a group of men and a woman at the basketball game. The five men go to the woman's aid. A confrontation 
ensues between the Yuba County Five and a group of men that are harassing this woman. And she theorizes on this blog that Gary Mathias is thrown from a bridge, dying from the fall. The four remaining hop in the Montego and escape. And this is how they wind up fleeing the scene and make all these wrong turns and head up a mountain. But I will say this, our producer, soon to be audio technician as soon as he gets out of the eighth grade. <laughs> uh, just joking, he's a little bit older than that, folks. Uh, Mini Me stated that how can Gary be thrown from a bridge near the basketball game, but his shoes are with Weir's body? That's true. It, well, again, that's 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 where the rabbit holes come in. Like, yeah, you're gonna chase them. Any folks. any logical explanation you're gonna come come up with, we're gonna poke holes in. So out of out of what warning they they they, they witnessed their friend die. So they and just then they jump in there, dry shoes off, and just then decide to take his shoes body. with them. Yeah, I don't think that's happening. <laughs> All right, another weird theory is that this confrontation the sister-in-law poses may have taken place at the convenience store they bought the snacks at after the basketball game. But again, uh, that would mean that all five are in the car and they're fleeing the gas station and headed up the mountain. I don't know, people. I mean, I feel like they were running for something. That that is, I guess, the only plausible idea well, in my mind. Hold 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 on hold on. So let me let me let me just go ahead and poke a huge hole in the sister-in-law's theory. Is we know for a fact that they bought these snacks at the convenience store after the game. So your friends, you witness your friend be murdered. But I'm going to buy me a Langendorf lemon pie. But you have to get that milk and Pepsi to mix together. That's right. In the most disgusting possible <laughs> And I'm going to chase it with a lemon pie. Or a marathon ball. So, that, there you go. That, to me. That girl's there. Shit theory. on that one. Yep. That's another theory out the window. Well, and here's another thing. Now, now maybe it did happen at the, the convenience store. Now, that could be possible. Was there a bridge for uh, Matthias to be tossed over at the bridge? I mean, at well, the store? Well, could have, but, I mean, she could have, I mean, throw hers out. I mean, let's just say that there's another theory that they witnessed something at that convenience store, and they're, they're running from it. And so we'll get into where one of them would have run in just a few minutes. But to poke another hole in this whole thing is... Mr. Shones, I know that he had stated that he may have been hallucinating when he had his heart attack, and he may or may not have seen the truck. All right, so the car is found two and a half hours from Chico, up a mountain road over some mountain lake. The game that they went to see ends around 10 p.m. Shones claims, to his recollection, he saw five 
men, a woman and a baby, and three others, whatever combination of five you want to come up with between 11 and 12. Now, that doesn't add up. I mean, if you add two and a half hours to the end of the game, you're looking at 12.31 o'clock the next day. Do I put a whole lot of time or a lot of uh, stock in this time theory? No, because the man had a heart attack, people. It's the 70s. It's the late 70s. <laughs> that VW is not going to have a clock, dash clock in it. I mean, he could have easily gotten his times wrong. I really do believe that he did see someone. I don't know if it was those five, but I do believe he he saw someone. Well, that uh, again, and the damn that, cars parked well, behind the I mean, VW. If he didn't see them, if he didn't see them, who the hell did he see? Little yeah. green man. I mean, but well, he had to have seen someone that is a part of that car because the cars found and. The other thing with Sean's, the car, depending on what you reference, is as close to his VW as 25 feet or as far as 50 yards. According to the great website Wikipedia, it says 20 feet. Ladies and gentlemen, if I'm having a mild heart attack <laughs> and there's headlights 20 feet behind my vehicle, I'm belly crawling. Y'all going to take me to the hospital. Yeah, I don't care. If I'm... If I have just belly crawled up onto a I'm risking axe murderer. I'm risking the fact that you're an axe murderer because I'm just going to do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, did, I still, 25 feet, I just don't. The man walked eight miles downhill after suffering a heart attack, people. If he can do that, he could have easily walked 25 feet and determined whether there was a truck, there was a woman, and then it gets into, they would have helped this man. They would have, these five men would have helped Sean's if he was asking for it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I, at this point, I just you know, what is the what does the family think? Let's let's what's the family think that forced them up there? Now, there's a Sacramento Bee article that I recommend that is chock full of good stuff. <laughs> this is what they state. There was some force that made them go up there. Jack Madruga's mother, Mabel, says firmly. They wouldn't have fled off in the woods like a bunch of quail. We know good and well that somebody made them do it. We can't visualize someone getting the upper hand on those five men, but we know it must have been. They seen something at that game, at the parking lot, says Ted Wheeler's sister-in-law. They might have seen it and didn't even realize they seen it. I can't understand why Gary would have been that scared. Even a fire, he says. All those paperbacks, and they didn't even build a lousy fire. I can't understand why they didn't do it unless they were afraid. He can't imagine what they were afraid of. Neither can investigators. Investigators can't prove that there was foul play, but they can't explain if there wasn't. They can't explain the events if there wasn't. They don't even know if Gary Matthews is dead. They think he is. They think his body probably lay on the snow until the spring thaw came and eased him down deep inside some thick green patch of the mountain. So the family thinks something forced them up there. Now, do you think this is a good time to get into the main man, the man of the hour? Yes, but before we do that, I just want to point out that there have 
been references to a woman that Sean says he saw the night he suffered his heart attack. It is on record that Teddy Weir had longer hair, a 70s style haircut. And he, I would dare say, in a couple of his pictures, he has a white boy fro. Gotta love it. And if he's backlit from headlights, depending on how curly this white boy fro is, he could have been mistaken, especially if you're having a heart attack, as a woman. So, I mean, again, you know, I'm not discrediting what Sean says. I'm just trying to explain some of what he says he saw because he is under stress from the heart attack. So now we will get into the missing individual of the Yuba County Five, and that's Gary Mathias. Again, it just boggles my mind that he has not been declared dead. It's 40 years he is still classified. He would be 66 years old if he was still alive. Yeah, and that's just extremely, extremely odd. But anyway, I will not get hung up on that. All right, so we have established that he has not been found. The only thing that ties him to that mountain, that scene, is his shoes. His shoes were found with Ted's body, and we had already discussed that we felt like, and the police theorized, that since they walked 19-plus miles through the snow, he is probably suffering swollen feet, and he is also probably on the verge of frostbite on his feet. So he's going to take the larger shoes and continue trying to, I guess, find help. Well, let's give a little background on on Mr. Gary because of the five men, he is the least handicapped. Let's, Let's say handicapped. He is the least mentally challenged of the five. He actually has schizophrenia. Yes, and he was diagnosed with this in 71, I believe, when he was in the Army. Mm-hmm. Um, he and was discharged from the Army. Yes, after his diagnosis, he does get a discharge. Um, it is referenced in a lot of things that I read that while he was in the Army... He was a little rambunctious. Let's just, just call it that. Just a tad. He was on he, the other he's, side He's of had the a law. few... Um, He's had a few spats with the law, as it were. Yeah, he uh, he dabbled in the uh, illegal drugs. He um, Some of his army buddies have come forward and said that he was abusing drugs during his army days. But, uh, you know, I believe he's right around that age where schizophrenia crops up. So, I well, mean, he, he disappeared. He was 25. Yeah. He was 25 years old when he disappeared. But he was able to receive his discharge because he punched a cop. And not good. asking why, he stated that he just figured if he punched a cop, he would get out of the Army. And yeah, I'm pretty sure that's not going to look good on the job application. And also what's strange about him, which all ties into all the weird thing, I mean, you know, all the what the fucks, is this is the one that was is missing. He's never been found. He's also the one that was the least close with the four. He was the outlier. He was the new friend. Yes. The other, you know... The, Basically, the other two pairs, I guess you could say, they, you know, of the four, each one 
had their best friend, but they all four were friends. He was the last to come into the mix at the center. Um, and so I feel like they're probably including him because he's part of the basketball team. Well, I mean, they were friends. I mean, let's not just not to say that they weren't friends with him, but he was definitely the new guy. Yeah, he was the new guy. Kind of like in every heist movie, you know, yeah. the one guy that somebody vouches for is the yeah. new guy, and he's, he's the one the, that ends he's up. An arc. He's the he's one the that arc. ends up going crazy. He's, he's like, hey, he's working for the fans. It's like we we've 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 got this we've got this heist plan down. It's gonna it's gonna it's gonna work without a hitch, and then and you get into the bank. And damn like, it, Bobby. He get into the bank and he's like, "Let's kill every one of these motherfuckers." <laughs> he's the new guy, so and he's the schizophrenic guy. And but he's I, all- you know, I'm not going to bat for his schizophrenic episodes. I'm not going to bat for his history, but he's not had an episode in two years. So I mean, that's true. But he's also on meds twice a day. <laughs> he's also on meds twice a day. He also is the most headstrong and influential of the group. And he also has friends. Where? He's in a town that is close to this road called Forbestown. It's basically halfway between Yuba and Chico on a road that is extremely easy to miss. Um, someone could end up lost headed north towards that mountain if they're trying to get to Forbestown. Now, to throw the monkey wrench in this theory... His friends do come forward, the friends that we are referencing from Forbestown, and they say that they have not seen him, they have not spoke to him in over a year. So it's not the type of friends you would just spring on no, at, in the middle of the night. No, with it's not four. like me and you. It's not like I can show up naked <laughs> on your front steps Ready to party. In the morning. Yeah, and you'd Ready be like, party. damn, so, dude, I ain't seen you in a year. So yeah, you're not going to roll up to this house at 1230 at night. With four friends they've never met on some random... Even though you are driving a (laughs) head-turning, panty-dropping, turquoise-and-white Mercury Montego. With a car like that, you're lucky that it is leather interior. Yes, you are. So it is easy cleanup. Yeah. I'm hoping it's vinyl and you just spray it out. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so back to young Matthias. Um... Yeah, we uh, we punched a cop to get out of the army, but we also have a record, and that record includes assaults on both men and women. Uh, this is before he is stabilized with medicine. He is he was hospitalized several times, but like a little Houdini, Gary escapes all of these hospitalizations. Uh, in 1974, he escapes in his pajamas, <laughs> and he walks slash hitchhikes approximately 100 miles to his house. And, and to be able to hitchhike and catch a ride in pajamas, schizophrenic pajamas, schizophrenic <laughs> hospital gown pajamas, is pretty amazing. Yes. Um, but... The fact that he knows where his house is at. Yeah. And then for it to be approximately 100 miles. But I will Timmy Topper you on the 100 miles. I hate when you Timmy Topper. He is hospitalized again in Portland, Oregon. 
and decides this is not my bag, baby. <laughs> I'm heading home to Marysville, California, from Portland, Oregon. And ladies and gentlemen, you can Google Maps it. And that's approximately 540 miles. And when he gets home, his family asks him, why are you here? And his answer, I was tired of the hospital. I just wanted to come home for no other reason. I'm going to explain something to you. I'm pretty sure I couldn't walk and find my way 50 miles from my house, much less 540 miles. Well, now, I mean, he could have hitchhiked, and the people that he was hitchhiking with may have put him on the right track, but regardless... He's in California or, in the 70s. Do you or, know how many serial killers run around in the 70s? Or irregardless, if you're a moron, <laughs> yeah, he still made it 540 miles home. Well, let's, every time I hitchhike, you know, they say... You know, how do you know I'm not a serial killer? And I tell them, the odds of two serial killers being in the same car are astronomical. It is, uh, <laughs> it is extremely odd that you say that because I feel like you've been eyeballing me all night. Like, <laughs> my neck looks delicious. No. All right. So, yes, uh, ladies and gentlemen, now this man is a determined man. But let's go back to what his grandmother said. When he left for the basketball game at Chico State, what did he tell his grandmother, Coach? He said, "Set my he, he set his uh, he set his uniform out, made sure it was out, pressed and ready to go, and he begged his grandmother to not let him oversleep because he was ex- too excited about the game tomorrow." But you say yourself, self, he had schizophrenia. Maybe he was excited. He didn't want to be groggy. Some of the side effects of his medication or drowsiness. Maybe he said, I just don't want to take my medicine tonight, so I'll be ready to play in the morning. That still doesn't explain his actions. That medicine has a half-life of 48 hours. So he's still going to be under the influence of the medication once they are once they are uh, missing. Unless, unbeknownst to anyone, he stopped taking his medicine well before then, but it's not documented anywhere. His parents, his his guardians, stated on several occasions that he was adamant about taking his medicine. Yeah, I have that his stepfather, Ed Cloth, K-L-O-P-F, had stated that he did take his medicine that morning. And they left out that evening for the basketball game. So, you know, and going back to the the medicine, he that medicine, the half-life is 48 hours. So if we miss a dose, we're still, you know, we're still good there. One theory is that not only did he skip a dose, some people theorize that he actually doubled up, took it, he didn't want to be groggy, but he went ahead and took it at lunch, he took it in the morning and then at lunchtime, so that by the time he would only skip that morning's med of, the morning of the basketball game's meds, um, and the meds, people, we've referenced this a couple of times, he's taking these meds twice a day, once in the morning, once in the evening, and they're three pills at a time, 
I just don't see that causing an episode. It's just, it's too easy to... It's a cop-out. It's a cop-out to say, oh, well, he just went crazy. None of the uh, none of the facts are adding up to that. No. Even if he did double up on his medicine, that's not going to cause him to freak out and force these men to drive this far. And if he has an episode, and I may be mistaken, it won't be the last time that I've been mistaken, he, I don't see him... I feel like Matthias is the one that tucked Weir in. You know, his shoes are there. I, I, I would I would I would agree with that. I just don't think I don't see him having an episode and while he's having this episode have the wherewithal to look after Weir enough to tuck him in. Well it's been theorized that all the men all the men had made it to the cabin. And that once Weir dies they decide to they decide to either go their separate ways. We know that two of them stuck together. Um, All right, but it, we do know that uh, we've theorized two months. What is it? Uh, Madruga and uh, Sterling stuck together. Maybe uh, Matthias and Hewitt went off to the west together, and we just never found them. Yeah, and, and going. Talking about northwest of the trailer, there were some oddities that way. They found the, the blankets and the flashlight. Yeah, maybe the maybe that blankets. was uh, maybe that was Matthias. They found the flashlight. They found and this now, people reference this like it's the gospel, but I don't really understand why this is so. I mean, it comes up numerous times. On different articles, different websites, different message boards, they found a gray cigarette lighter three quarters of a mile northwest of the trailer. People, it's the 70s. I mean, you still could smoke on airplanes, you could smoke in every restaurant. You know, finding a cigarette lighter in the middle of the wilderness, the service, the service. That's the army. It's. It's odd. The forestry service probably, all of the guys with the forestry service probably smoked. Or at least carried a lighter if they were going to get trapped out. You've got to be able to start a fire. It is odd to find a lighter, but it's not so odd that you can connect it to anything. Right. Coincidence, maybe. I find that less weird than the gold watch that nobody claimed without a crystal. Yeah, whose gold watch? That's a great question. That's another what? what? That's another what the fuck. Did they steal it? Is that what? Is that is? Could it be that someone, maybe Matthias, uh, found it in the park? Found it air quotes in the parking lot. Yeah, found it in the parking lot. Maybe even stole it. And that's what they're running from. Highly unlikely. There's no other conclusion you can come to than Bigfoot. <laughs> well, there he is. There Big, he is. Bigfoot eight. Matthias. I have another one. And they ran. You're not going to like it, but I have another one. Go ahead. Missing 411. Agreed, but if you if you are well versed in the missing 411 as I am, what is the missing 411? Who's the culprit behind that? Sasquatches. Sasquatch. So, 
I mean, this, this is not classified as a missing 411, though. No, it's not. But I would love to hear his theory on this. Maybe we can call him. Yeah. Maybe... Maybe yes, somebody maybe, can maybe we did, put him maybe on. Maybe we did such a good job. We did such a good job with our first Missing Bruce podcast on the fifth time we've recorded it <laughs> that <laughs> he will, David Politis, will like just jump right into letting us. And he's like, hey, those new guys in Georgia, yeah, those they are on it. Yeah, they, they're <laughs> on top of it with the with the poor editing. And the, the southern accent and the and the, the, the visibly drunkenness by the end of it. The dank, moist <laughs> basements that they're recording out of. I've really got to meet these boys. <laughs> we'll reach out, folks. We will reach out. The, the four people listening, have no fear. We will reach out. The four. Well, let me let me let me be more specific. The four people that are not close family members that are and, listening unfortunate friends that have been forced to follow us on Facebook. I mean, uh, Instagram and Twitter at Mysterious Bruce. Okay, so Mini-Me is dying over here. He is basically He's told, written a novel. Yeah, he has. He has been, if that, that scribbling noise you've been hearing in the background is the furious ramblings of our producer. Of our producer. Mini-Me. How there old are you is now? 13? 14? 27? Yeah, okay, 27. All right, so there is no way, this is Mini-Me's hypothesis here, there is no way that Matthias has been missing this entire time, is 66 years old, not revealed his identity. He absolutely loved his family. He is documented at walking over 500 miles just to get home. But he got home because he was tired of the hospital, not necessarily because he loved his family. Well, Minnie Me's theory is he hates to break it to us, but Matthias is dead. And all the theories about him killing the other four and getting away with it and going Jason Bourne and living this false identity, it's just, it's bull. He says those are all debunked. But it's so nice to think that way, though. That's the whole point of a mystery, is the fantasy of, but what if? What if it was aliens? What if it was Sasquatch? What if he later changed his name, got into acting, and now he's the great Zach Galifianakis? (laughs) He looks good for a 66-year-old. I'll have to say that. I'm not sure how old Zach is, but... I'm thinking it's a little less than 66. <laughs> well, Google 66-year-old actors and compare to Matthias. And I will say this, people. The only pictures of these five men is that grainy black and white photo. And Matthias looks like... Which we like, will be posting. Yeah, and Matthias looks like a creeper with a school crossing guard hat on. Well, a that, bus driver that, that is his. That, that is his army. That is his army um, cap. Forgive me if it's, it's if it has an official name, but and that is a gross misrepresentation of what the man looked like when they went missing. Now I hate to keep bringing up the the most wonderful website you could ever go to, which is Wikipedia, but it is a good source to at least see the picture, the la- the last known picture of Matthias when while he was still alive or while he was not missing. It is actually. You can see that he's got his hair grown out. He's got 
thick uh, bottle top glasses and a mustache. He looks a little more normal, but still very, very high on the creep factor. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think you're getting in a car with him. I would, but... No, no. All right, so I think we've exhausted the whole Matthias situation. I, I think we've covered most of it, but now we got to talk about what we think. What the fuck happened? What do we think? What are our conclusions that are not going to satisfy anyone? True, and, and probably no one cares about our conclusions. No, I don't. Why would they? Anyway. Why would they? Why would they? It's care? because we drink beer. I mean, we do have good taste. That is beer. true. All right, so the one good thing I'm good at. Yes. Okay, so my theory is this is just a tragedy. I have no idea how the hell they wound up the side of the map. That is a great theory. It is a tragedy. I, no, I'm saying tragedy. Your theory of not knowing anything. I know nothing. I have no idea how they got up the side of that mountain. But they found themselves up the mountain. It's a wonderful theory. In a Mercury Montego that does not have snow chains. So they're not going any further. A pristine condition. Yes, it did not bottom out. Panty dropping. Oh, panty dropper. Turquoise and white. Mercury Montego. It's a shame that they, that car was stuck in the snow. But anyway. My theory is somehow they find themselves up there, whether it is of their own doing or there is a ruse that gets them up there, and they succumb to the elements and lack of food because they're trying to find help. Now, that does not make much sense because they traveled north after passing a lodge that was eight miles south. I know it doesn't make sense, but unfortunately, I feel like that they have just gotten the wrong end of the stick on this one. That's a terrific theory. Yeah. It, it really ties everything together. Everything's together. It's got as many holes in it as Swiss cheese. And I, I'm, unfortunately, I got no damn clue either. And I think that's going to be a recurring theme in this whole, whole, this whole podcast, podcast. Is the only the reason why we started this podcast is because we were tired of just being the only ones. Asking why. Asking why. Sitting here talking about stuff and going, what the hell, man? Yeah, I don't know if you're keeping track or not, <laughs> but that we're up to about 10 of what the fucks. I think we're well above that. Now... <sighs> I will say one of the more plausible excuses is they were running for something, whether it was human or whether well, it was. You know us; we're always gonna we're gonna Sasquatches. We're gonna go we're always going to err on the side of Sasquatch. Yeah, that's just our nature because we are firm believers. He's not, not Harry and the Henderson, though. You will not, yeah, you will not convince us otherwise. But Mini Me has handed me his theory, and his theory is, Uh-oh. drum roll, please. I think that they were forced up there and subsequently killed by someone or something. And Mini Me's in our camp. Sasquatch lives. They were killed. They were killed, slow but surely, and Matthias was the only one 
they killed quickly because of a fight they had with him or Sasquatch ate him whole. That is a tragic And Sasquatch poop has never been found, so if he ate Matthias, his bones will never be found because Sasquatch digests I, everything. I think I think they found they somewhere along the way home they came across something and they did not they didn't were not supposed to see or did not mean to see and they were running. I do I do think they were running. That's that's the only thing that makes sense to me. They were running. Yeah, there's been some theories on now, uh, web sleuths that they were herded up the mountain, but I, I don't see that. I, I think they were running and just kept making turns and then found themselves up this mountain. I road. think they were smart enough to know that what they saw was bad and they were in trouble and they were not going to run home for fear of whatever it was coming coming to hurt their families. And once they found themselves on the mountain, I do think that once the car was stuck, they may have just assumed it was stuck and was impossible to move. Uh. <laughs> so that long, awkward pause was the fact that Coach and I were staring at each other because she coach just dropped a huge. Not only she just dropped a theory that not only we didn't think of. I guarantee you, most no one in the past forty-one years, four months, and four days has ever come up with. Her theory is that. The reason they were going up that mountain is because they were being pursued by none other than Joseph Jones. And whatever his intentions with these five men were foiled when he suffered his heart attack. When he suffered his heart attack. Maybe he is the pursuer. Perhaps. Now, instead of... Do we know... Did we know he's his claims of going back to the lodge because he had been there earlier? Were they ever confirmed with people at the lodge? Did they see him drinking there earlier? Or perhaps he just noticed it as he passed by, pursuing the gentleman in question. Now, and a theory about this that gives credence and validity. To she coaches theory is criminals, murderers, crazy ass people. Like yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I asked why would he even report them? Right, and and you brought it up that they interject themselves into a lot of investigations because you cannot research the Yuba County Five without it coming up. Synonymously with Joseph Shaw. He's one of the first people we've, we, 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 we noticed in our research. Yes. And we have to talk about that. Anytime that you type in Yuba, Yuba County 5 in Google, any article, any website, any message board, his story of 
these headlights and heart attacks and flashlights and whistling and voices always come up. So yeah, we're gonna leave you with that theory right there. Unless you unless you think you that's, can outdo her, buddy. That's the best we can come up with. Uh, that's the best she can come up with. The best I can come with up with up with is fucked if I know. Yeah. But I will say, if anybody is willing to chase the rabbit, it might be interesting to find out if his Shones's claim to have been eating at the lodge is corroborated. Please, if if you follow us and please send us your theories, we'll listen to any negative criticism, any positive criticism, and any theory that you might put forth to us. This is the whole point of this podcast is to go down the rabbit hole as far as we possibly can on each and every subject we tend, we talk about. Alright, so in closing, we ask that you please give us a follow on either Instagram or Twitter at Mysterious Brews. I think uh, let's leave them with a uh, let's leave them with some recommendations there. Right. I would like to recommend the fine upstanding gentleman at True Crime Garage who basically we stole the whole idea of this podcast from. Yeah, we 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 kind of did. We uh we love True Crime Garage. We listen to every single solitary episode and we thought to ourselves, you know what? We pretty much do that same exact podcast just sitting on our porch drinking beer talking about mysteries so we figured you know why if the if the if it ain't broke don't fix it so we pretty much the boys in ohio can do it we'll do it down exactly we you know we got our monikers i'm the coach but the coach and the captain much different because but i'm an actual coach i don't think he's an actual captain of anything i don't think he is i've been been a coach for many many years so Please, if you have not, for 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 whatever reason, if you can possibly find our podcast without ever finding theirs, I don't see how that's possible. But please give them a listen. You won't regret it. No, you won't. Uh, my recommendation, I like, I am a YouTube fanatic. You will find me on YouTube going down that rabbit hole. Daily, hourly. Bi- hourly. I've almost lost several jobs because of it. I love going down the YouTube rabbit hole. So my recommendation is going to be a very good uh, YouTube channel called That Chapter. It is, uh, he goes everywhere from mysteries from uh, the internet to unknown crimes to uh, dark web things. Dark web. I mean, there's no real limit. He he does a great, great job. He is from um, either Ireland or Scotland. I hate to say one and be wrong but so he does mispronounce some american uh, terms incorrectly but as you can see so do i so give him a follow and give and, and watch some of his stuff i guarantee you won't regret it uh guaranteed you will probably find us covering some things that he's already covered but we will try our best to do it in even, more detail in more detail and even better so plus we're american <laughs> which I mean, is, that helps. Which is, uh, which is a bonus on this weekend of our independence. That is right. I hope England enjoyed their day at work. Yes, I do too. <laughs> and but, please get off the lady soccer player who gives two shits whether she sipped tea and it was to either say 
that that's the end of the story or whether she was making fun of the British. It doesn't matter. No, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. Nothing. And as she said on ESPN, the men can grab their sacks and nothing is said, but God forbid I hold a pinky out like I'm sipping tea. That doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is where is Gary. That's right. <laughs> well, folks, that is all the time we have for today. And as you can tell, there is something very wrong with this scene in this deep, dark, dank, moist basement. <laughs> Thanks for listening, Mysterious Bros. Bros? Bros. Because we're bros. Well, it, we've had about eight Mysterious Brews, so we're definitely Mysterious Bros at this point. <laughs> mysterious Brews. Later. Deuces! <laughs> <laughs>